0: This is episode 177 of the Inner Fight Podcast. Inner Talks number five. Welcome to Inner Fight Podcast. My name is Marcus Smith, founder of Inner Fight. I'm happy to bring you another series of Inner Talks in this week's Inner Talks number five, where we have five great speakers that share their stories. Where you are in the world, tuning in. Let's jump right in. Good morning, and welcome to Inner Talks number five. I want to start by thanking you and appreciating you taking the time out to be here this morning. When I was, before I did all of this stuff here, I used to sell shoes, and I actually really liked selling shoes. I sold shoes for the best part of 10 years. I work for a sports company called Adidas and every day I was really, really geeky about selling shoes. I loved everything about it and I was like, I was thinking about what to say this morning because I was bored of the poem that I've been using and I was like, what was it about selling shoes? And I said, well, actually, I really enjoyed it. I, I was passionate about it. So I had this thing, passion, and I was like, and then I was looking at the speakers we've got this morning who actually I only really know well one of them who used to sell shoes with me, um, and I was like I was reading through their bios and I was like, wow, we've got five people who are super super passionate. So if there's a theme this morning, which I now having said that I hope comes through in what they're going to say, which I'm sure it will, it's all going to be about passion. So without th- further ado, I'd like to invite our first speaker up, Miranda. Yeah, you are first.
1: (laughs) Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. So uh, when Yelena asked me to come and she knows a lot about my story and how I came to be here, I thought, eight minutes. They clearly did not get my profile when they only gave me eight minutes. So I'll try and give you some snippets. I really feel that from the inception of coming into this world, I was given great gifts. Yet, there were some definite challenges. Um, I didn't come from a well to do family, which isn't normal, you know, for most people. Um, but I also had sort of this fire in me. I just, I was never going to be the girl that was going to get the job and marry the boy and, you know, kind of do the good Midwestern girl thing. I was a performer. So, I was a figure skater growing up. I've been in sports and entertainment my whole life. Um, I remember coming home at about 12 years old, 13 years old. I used to get up every morning at 4 in the morning, go to the ice rink. I would train. I would walk to school. I would walk home from school, go through my mom's front door, grab my second lunch for the day, because those of you that train know how hungry you get. And then I would walk out the back door and go back to the ice rink. Well one day I was walking home and my father was walking up to meet me and I thought, That's odd. I wonder why he's walking up to meet me. This six foot four man and all alpha male looks at me and goes, We can't afford to have you skate anymore. I was crushed. It was like my first heartbreak to tell me I couldn't figure skate anymore. I did not know what to do with my life. My grades started plummeting, I ultimately dropped out of high school. I was, high school dropout, No, didn't know what I was going to do, I um, continued to try and skate and dance when money could afford it, um, and then I met um, my first boyfriend, <laughs> and he worked for a singer named Prince, some of you may have heard of, and so I got to spend the next three and a half years touring and, and being around this amazing artist, I then landed a job with a woman named Kirstie Alley who was of Cheers fame or Veronica's Closet. So here I was, this 22-year-old girl in Los Angeles working for Kirstie Alley every day, and I was like, wow, I finally arrived. Well, let's just say that didn't work out so well. She was a wonderful woman. There was a not-so-wonderful man in her life that decided that he wanted to be verbally abusive to me every day um, named James Wilder. So I put my tail between my legs, and I called my then-boyfriend and said, I want to come back to Minnesota where I'm from. Go back to Minnesota, long and short of it, that didn't work out. Went, packed my bags with like, I don't know, $100 in my pocket and drove back to L.A. I took a fateful trip at 25 to a place called Dubai. Total incident, that's a whole other story for another time. So I come to Dubai and it had everything at that time that L.A. didn't have. L.A., if you've ever lived there, it is definitely all it's good and all it's bad that you've heard. So I really fell in love with this place. I at times had no money. I at times had no friends. I at times had nothing. And I lived in a city like Los Angeles with millionaires everywhere that claimed to be my friends. Not one of them helped me off my face when I was down. Not one of them believed in me. But I always tell people when they ask me why I love UAE, I say when I was hungry, an Arab fed me. When I had no home, an Arab housed me. So I fell in love with UAE, and so I was back and forth between LA and UAE, and I, um, at one point through a chain of events, um, ended up once again at rock bottom, and I was living with these two gay guys in <laughs> Miami, Florida. I didn't know where to go, what to do, and somebody once again believed in me and thought, you know what, you got a knack for sales. I knew a bit about fashion and gave me a job as an agent in Miami Beach. So. We went to this convention, and a woman named Christy McCormick was there. Christy McCormick did for me, the first day I met her, what some people I had considered at that time my best friends had never done. She looked at me, and she said, you belong in New York City. I was like, I just started this job, you know, I just got to Miami Beach, I don't know. No, 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 you belong in New York City. She got me interviews with IMG, Elle Magazine, Self Magazine, and ultimately I landed a job at Next Management in New York City. Now, when I landed this job at Next, if anybody knows about fashion, people will give their right arm to work in Next Management in New York City. It's one of the top billing agencies in the world. And here they were just scoop me up on a wing and a prayer. I had a, a very, very tough boss to work for, but I sat with the best agents and I tried to listen and learn. I never showed up late. I never took a lunch break. And there I was at one of the the top billing agencies, this little Midwestern girl who had just been pulled out of the gutter by this angel. Anyhow, I worked for a couple different agencies in New York City, and I went on a business trip to um, Dallas, Texas, and we were at this convention. I went out with a bunch of agents, and I... um, you know, went out for food and drinks, and I get home that night and the next morning. I'm supposed to be down at the convention, and I'm really sick, and I'm throwing up. And they're calling going, do you need a doctor? Do you need a doctor? Well, like, I'm sure men of you, and I think, you know, men have different pressures than women. You have this idea of, like, they have to think I'm strong. They can't know I'm weak. I have to have this impression of this pillar of perfection and strength and, you know, especially being in entertainment. I didn't want people to know I was weak. I didn't want them to see me broken. So a girl that I had waited tables with back in L.A. happened to be an agent also. We would come up the ranks together, happened to be there. And she brought me my medicine because the doctor found out when she came to my room and I was throwing up blood that I had a severe stomach ulcer. I was incapable of holding down water. I had thrown up the interior of my stomach and I could barely stand without passing out. I looked I will never forget looking at my friend Chanel Kong and saying, "Please don't tell anybody you've seen me like this." I was so fearful that people would know I was broken. I was so fearful as in total denial I had an ulcer. The doctors like, "You need to slow down." I was like, "Slow down? Please." So, I went about my business. I had flew to LA, I flew back to New York. I was supposed to go open a franchise for the company I was working with in Miami. There I was, Continually seeing doctors, continually putting on the face, makeup, pretending like I was okay. I'd have fainting spells. I wouldn't want people to know. I couldn't eat hardly anything. I was falling apart. I went through nine different doctors. They had me on the Nexium, the Prevacid, the Prilosec, the whatever. I'm sure some of you have probably been on some of these prescriptions for stomach ulcers or Gastritis. I eventually was talking to a friend of mine, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, for the first time, don't know what to do. And he said, you have to go back to performing. So I packed my bags, and once again, moved back to Los Angeles. Everyone's going, what are you going to do about your career? Is everything okay? I'm like, I just don't want to talk to anybody. I did the typical guy thing. I went back in my cave. didn't want anyone to know. And I finally called a friend of mine named Maite Garcia, who had gone from being a dancer to an actress. And I said, you know, I miss performing, but I don't want to go back to what I was doing before. I want to act, thinking she'd laugh at me. And she didn't. She said, come on. She taught me. She told me where to study. So I started studying acting. And I took it with a vengeance like everything else. Do you know what the best thing acting gave me? was the ability to be vulnerable again. The ability to say, I'm not perfect. The ability to be able to be open to the human experience, as opposed to the airbrushed one we see in Cosmo magazine or magazine du jour. So I'm studying with a woman named Michelle Danner, and she says to me, her sister says to me, what do you know about this place called Dubai? said, oh, you know, I told her a little bit about my history with it. She goes, I want Michelle to go and teach there. Now, this is about, I think, 2008, which was the heart of the recession. So I'm calling. I'm trying to get every contact I can in Dubai, and nobody wants an acting coach. No one has the funds. No one's interested. No one gets it. So I go into Michelle one day. I said, listen, sales aren't going that well. We're having a hard time with a payment gateway I think I'm going to go to Dubai a month early just to see if I can make it work. She goes, okay, when are you coming back? I said, mm, I got a one-way ticket. She literally looked are you crazy? Well, I was just crazy enough. I took a one-way ticket here back to Dubai. I called a friend of mine who had an apartment in Gaseys. So if you guys know where Gaseys is, it's kind of far. <laughs> called another friend of mine. I had $1,000 in my pocket and a one-way ticket. Uh, so some friends helped me out. I, I called Bareface Talent, which is one of the talent agencies here. I said, listen, I have zero money. I know you don't know who the heck I am. But um, I used to do you know, some presenting and things. I'll let you represent me exclusively if you allow me to use your office to market this program. So they said, sure. These people that didn't know me, had no idea who I was, gave me their office. And every day I just pounded the pavement from morning till night And I have to tell you, often I laid in that bed in Gaseis going, why did I come to the desert to try to teach people to act? I really thought I made a big mistake at times. But I kept getting up. So things started going better, and I started making a name for myself. Um, Well, there's a gentleman named Tim Smythe. I don't know if any of you guys know of, but he was the head of Filmworks. He has um, unfortunately since passed away, but his legacy definitely lives on here in UAE. At the time, he had brought MI4 here. He had brought Syriana here. He had brought all the big productions that you know that were filmed in UAE came through Filmworks and because of this man, Tim Smythe. Now, if you ever met Tim, he's not really like the warmest guy when you first meet him. So even me, I get intimidated too. So he's a little intimidating. But this wonderful woman named Jessica Swan, who used to be on Dubai Eye here, this little blonde pixie with blue eyes had caught sight of my work and she, too, believed in me. She put me on a panel on the radio with Tim Smythe. And I was with Tim Smythe and a bunch of other people with titles much, much bigger than me. And after, he said, I want to do business with you. We need a good casting director in this town. I said, let me tell you something. I was in management. I ended up in the hospital. I'm not doing it again. Well, as I was trying to cultivate these actors, I didn't see any great opportunities for them. Six months later... I was in Tim Smythe's office going, you know, this town needs a good casting director. I think I'm the woman for the job. <laughs> he said, I figured you'd be back. So since then, um, we now have Miranda Davidson Studios, which does media training, which includes acting, public speaking, and we do casting as well. We have been blessed enough to uh, uh, work on a large Kanye West project that was shot in Doha. We did a $20 million Chinese movie with Tim Smythe when he was alive. as the largest Chinese movie to ever be shot out of China here in Dubai. And we most recently did the Abu Dhabi portion of a little movie you might have heard of called Fast and the Furious 7. We are currently in pre-production for another major motion picture, but I can't tell you what it is yet, but I'm sure you'll get wind of it. My point to this is to just tell you, number one, nobody does it alone. Number two, I don't want to perpetuate this idea of perfection. I don't want to perpetuate this idea of um, immortalization, whether you're talking about a celebrity or uh, your boss or, or your father, whoever it is. I want to perpetuate the human experience. I am only as good as the company I keep. I am only as good as the people that I can touch, that I can connect with, that I can feed off of. One thing I have learned, and there's a lot that I still have to learn, that's for sure, but the one thing I've learned is that the people you surround yourself with can either be toxic, poison you and bring you down, and end you up in the hospital like I was, or they can be pillars of strength, support, Wings. You don't need to constantly fight the battle. You don't constantly need to be strong. And you don't constantly need to try to live up to perfection. I have most certainly felt that I could not go on before. And if it was not for a grave support system, one of the top ones being my assistant who is sitting here with me, who has in the last few years been my pillar of strength when I was incapable of being strong so thank you
0: thank you our next speaker was actually introduced by someone who's spoken before which is excellent if anyone wants to introduce someone and have them to come up here, that's awesome too ladies and gentlemen, Brendan
2: Uh, morning, uh, my name is Brendan. I've been seven years now and I'm originally from Australia. One year ago I got married in Kenya and uh, people often say, why Kenya? Did you marry a Kenyan? That seems obvious. Um, no, we got, I got married in Kenya because I wanted 52 Kenyan children to come to a wedding to my Russian wife, so work that one out. It all started five years earlier. Uh, I was on a trip in t- Kenya. Uh, I started in Mombasa on the coast and I worked my way up to, uh, the Ugandan border and I got to experience everything in between. This is in 2010, so it's still, you know, fresh from the, the 2007 violence when there was a lot of, uh, ethnic killing and tribal violence. So the country was still sort of healing, but I fell in love with the country right there and then. The people, the place, the atmosphere. Anyone from Africa knows there's something special about Africa, but people that go and visit Africa, uh, I think, can really be touched by it. Uh, There's a quote from a former Ghanaian president said, I'm not African because I was born in Africa, but because Africa was born in me. And that's how I really feel about Africa. On that trip, I really felt something about Africa just was planted in my heart. Here's a little country boy from Australia, now in Africa, just falling in love with it. On the last night, I was in Kenya. I was chatting with a guy called Martin. He's uh, he's leads a, a youth organisation in in Kenya, and uh, they've helped around forty thousand kids over the past ten years stay out of trouble. And I just said, "What is the future for Africa? What is the future for Kenya in particular? How? What what is the way out? You have so much potential. There's resource. What's holding you back?" And he said, "Brendan." We don't need white man coming here and telling us what to do or just throwing money at the problem. That's not going to fix it. We need to be equipped and empowered to work ourselves out of trouble. We want to get ourselves out of this. And so I said, okay, well, as a, as a Mzungu, which is Swahili for white man, what, what can I do? He, he told me about this house around the corner in his community, a two-bedroom house with 52 children living in it. As an Aussie growing up with uh, one brother, one sister, mum and dad, we had a big four-bedroom house. And I felt that was too small sometimes. There's 52 kids living in a two-bedroom house. So I said, take me there. Let's have a look at it. So I walk in and I meet the amazing Mama Rose, this big, beautiful Kenyan lady who's in her mid-50s and she's the one that's looking after these 50 children. Two bedrooms, one room full of boys, one room full of girls. And instantly I I knew I had to do something. I could not walk away again being the same way. Uh, so long story short, we walked, I walked out of there, I came back to Dubai, I started helping where I could with what I would call band-aid fixes, just, uh, paying school fees, keeping rent paid, keeping food on the table. Not just me, sorry, a bunch of friends. Uh, and at one point I realized, this is not what Martin said. This is not self-sustaining. This is not equipping and empowering the locals. This is not the long-term solution. So with a group of friends, we founded a charity called WeCare, which is this logo here. And it wasn't because there was not enough charities out there. There's lots of charities in in Africa. And they're all doing, some are doing a great job, not all. Um, So it wasn't to make a new charity, but it was just to be able to have a, a... personal impact on these kids and have a platform where we could access sustainable funding, where we could access uh, capital and means, where we could really set a platform for for sustainable change. My goal with WeCare is to put ourselves out of business. I really want to set a a community project, a self-sustaining community project to put ourselves out of business. Uh, So WeCare was born um, and it was at this time actually I met my wife. She was working on another charity project in Kenya and uh, I managed to get her on board uh, at the same time we were founding the charity, so uh, I think that really got her interested in, in our project, and maybe even me, and luckily enough, she married me, um, so this is why we ended up getting married in Kenya. Uh, f- for me, I felt like sometimes, though, over the past couple of years, is is paying rent enough, or is, is keeping food on the table enough? Is it really helping? And just one quick story of a a girl called Janet. Janet is uh, 13 years old now. She came into our home at 11 years old. She came from a a family where her mother passed away. So uh, her father was abusing her sexually. Uh, Then her uncle was abusing her sexually. And she was then rescued into our home, uh, luckily enough. And for the first four five, six months, she was not talking. She was pretty much uh, emotionally traumatized. And uh, especially with men, she would not talk to men and, and completely understandable. And I remember about six months after she came into the home, I was, I was there with my grandparents and my, my wife and we heard this horrendously loud, joyful laugh. And we turned around and it was, it was Janet and she was smiling. It was just something like something broke in her. And we were talking to Mama Rose about that later and we said, what's happened with Janet? How has she been rehabilitated? And she was just talking about the love that she tried to to impart on her. And what unknowingly we did was by funding the home, by keeping them um, rent paid, by the bills being paid, Mama didn't have to go out and beg anymore. She wasn't out in the streets begging. She was home creating a family atmosphere, a safe environment. And through that environment, uh, Janet got to experience real love and And got to become her own person. Janet had never been to school up until that point, by the way. Six months later, when we were talking with her about what her dreams were about the future, she wanted to be a teacher. And we asked her why and she goes, I want to teach other people. I want to give people what I didn't have. (laughs) That just blew me away. What I want to encourage today and what I've learned from my story is I'm just a standard guy. I work in a standard job here i don't earn great amounts of money and I, I don't perceive i can do large amounts of things but you can do something never underestimate the impact you can have and i encourage you to have that impact on other people brian he's an incredibly intelligent boy he's 13 years old 14 years now he's in high school He got one of the highest marks in his region for schooling. And if you see the school they go to, it's dimly lit, mud floors, no light. And Brian now has to wear glasses because he's got a problem with his eyesight. And how that problem came about is he used to have to study in the dark. And that, again, just blew me away. This kid came from nothing, he has nothing, yet he managed to get one of the top scores around. And in that process, he's damaged his eyesight physically by trying to study in the dark. I mean simple fixes, like some solar paneled lights can and fix that they cost five hundred dirham. little things like this make a world of a difference in somebody 's life, and these kids were trying to bring up and encourage to then turn back into their community. We care we don 't want to be there forever we 're not the solution, but we 're going to equip and empower these these locals, these Kenyans to work themselves out of trouble and I just really want to end on that point is. Just do not underestimate your influence with these people. I didn't think I was doing anything. Five years on, I look back and we have uh, had 70 kids come through the home and every kid's now in school, never getting kicked out. Every kid's fed. Mama Rose is now not on the street begging as as she should not be. And we're almost at the point where we're about to be- build these guys a brand new home, something I would never have dreamt about before. Just I want to just mention one thing with Brian. Brian is so smart. He's written a book already as a child. He's written a, a book for children. And his goal in life is to be an aeronautical engineer. His backup plan is to be a f- in physics. I didn't, even, I didn't even go well. I dropped out of physics. and This kid's backup plan is physics. So just never underestimate your impact on those around you.
0: Thanks a lot, Brendan. Our next speaker has been to every single inner talks that we've held. She came to the special edition of Marathon des Sable a few weeks ago. So she knows exactly what's going on. Melissa.
3: Thank you. Okay, I promise my child I will do uh, courageous things as often as I can. I, I hope this counts because I'm damn nervous. <laughs> You're not my usual audience. So, so I hope... Uh, I will not have a brain freeze and play a staring competition with you. Okay. So because everybody loves to talk about themselves, I'm just going to have a little talk about it and then move on quite quickly. If you ever read my bio that uh, Marcus published and I thought I'm going to be modest that I failed. Um, I'm a total nerd. I'm a proud one. I've been for a long, long time. I study endlessly. I don't watch TV pretty much ever. I listen podcasts while I shop, while I cook. I'm a TED Talk crazy. I pretty much study variety of stuff, and I ended up um, being very resourceful to many many people, where I'm very really happy about it. But you would, you probably couldn't see from my bio, is that actually I had a pretty wild spirit as well in my younger age, no age mentioning here. Um, I come from a very rural place uh, where let's say that the life was quite frugal. I could never be spoiled by any manner. Um, I understood what hard work is by just by watching my parents. I come from Serbia, so if you know a little bit of history of that, you understand that we went through quite a tough time recently. Still there. Um, and pretty much uh, the gender... Uh, Gender stereotypes are quite quickly um, told uh, that I was supposed to be kind and sweet. There was no adventure for me, only for boys. Kind of didn't work with me. Uh, So by um, my late teens, the nerd was well set on path. But the free spirit was coming up. So let me just tell you what I did when I uh, my parents were not looking. So I did the skydiving pretty much uh, without them knowing. I did solid 13 freestyle, okay? That's not training in where I come from. You go to the field, you get the Russian planes, you kind of pack your own parachute, and you jump. And I have even a picture of that. I'm smiling. The frog position. (laughs) That's the only thing they ask you, and hold the legs together. Otherwise, if you land in a cornfield, as I did, and they search for you five hours... You better stay uh, un- injured, not injured, <laughs> which I managed. Okay, I did paragliding, not training either. Just some great friends having equipment. I did skiing. Uh, they tr- throw me to ski without any training. Also, they thought that they have no time. We have only seven days here. Nobody will show you anything. Just ski. I bought a second-hand bike. Wolfie was first place in Dubai, where I went to search for my new bike when I arrived to Dubai. Um, and I can see he's here. So you changed my life when I arrived, and you opened a really solid first bike shop that I loved. Um, so I, that was a second hand track. He was damn uh, uh, heavy. Uh, but uh, it was definitely my best transport. I cycled everywhere I could. It was 50K a day. Rain, night, um, let's say no helmet, highway, and headsets in your ears so you don't hear even the cars. Which was great. Police was not happy, definitely, When every time it caught me. So I had to lie pretty much, no ID, my birthday is today. And so I managed to go without fines a lot of times. Okay. By 1999, um, the bombing started. Three months, my house was close to the military airport. And um, my house was shaking pretty much every night. Uh, You don't sleep in pajamas. The windows are open. I decided not to be in a shelter. I found it quite frightening to be surrounded by people. Squeezed around and um, pretty much frightened. There was no electricity. I saw the most beautiful sky in the world. Uh, when the graffiti bomb fell on the electrical power, it was beautiful blue. After that, we were barbecuing next day because all the freezers were finished. So we had Palio Day for a whole nation. I can tell you that. Um... Um, I even was crazy enough to go to that military airport and see how NATO forces are very precise. I was very impressed, I have to say. Um, I loved it, though. uh, All my concerts are for free. Entertainment was for free for the first time. I could afford going anywhere and watching all my favorite shows. So that was great. Uh, I was part of all the strikes ever against the government. Clearly, that didn't matter. Um, after three months and my brother come, finally coming home, which we didn't know where he is for three months, I kind of couldn't see the future anymore. It was bleak. So by chance I arrived, arrived to Dubai. I offered my friend um, a, a job offer that I had and she gave me Dubai. As simple as that. Seven days later I was here. Finally some money to spend on the smart things. So the first thing is I did the tennis lessons endlessly. Kite surfing, bought all the equipment, clearly I was not saving. By the 31st birthday, uh, my 31st, I got a gift, a very special goal. And that's where my story really starts. And the course of my life has changed. Okay? And unlike most of us, you will expect that I'm going to tell you how I improved myself, actually. And all I wanted is to actually help others from that on. Okay? So two weeks ago, you heard a story from Marcus, Tom, and Renata about the toughest race. I'm going to tell you a little bit about different toughest race that you can, or rather journey you can go in. And this is how you throw in. And when you throw in, this is how you feel. So I'm going to just read something quickly for you. From that moment, my life diverged from the way of the lists. It was as if I had been following some roughly mapped route, and suddenly the car swerved widely. And I began to plow through terrain I have never dared venture into. When a child is diagnosed with disability, it is unclear where in this foreign land it will fall. Low expectation of children with disabilities inevitably encourages such children to underachieve. My child might do all sorts of things, and it might not. There would be no certainties. When I try to construct a life list, it dissolves into daily tasks. I could no longer imagine what hell lay ahead. Uh, if you ask any parent who have child with uh, any special needs, they will tell you that from the sudden road where it was lightly well lit and all your friends were around you, you suddenly end up in a um, no, no light street, you're lost and pretty much feeling alone. I'm in this race. Um, every child is special mine was not special it was, it's different we didn't know how different we find out after I insisted to be assessed over and over by her third birthday we understood that um, she has dysphasia, uh hypermobility sensory processing issues now probably for most of you this is coding it's like strange language right okay uh, it's, it's related to language. She could not acquire language. As simple as that. She just couldn't talk. By three, she was talking gibberish. It's just, we didn't know what's going on. But we had to go in school. We just, we were discouraged by speech therapists that everything would be fine. By 3.3, she was kicked out of her school. By her sixth, sixth birthday, I changed another three schools. Okay, I was relentless in finding where she belongs. Finally, we ended up in a, one of the best schools to support children with special needs. I um, This was my fight, and I damn was not going to lose it. I dedicated everything I have. okay. So, in the meantime, I started realizing I am not alone. It's just that these people are very silent. You just don't know about them. You met them. You just don't know. And unlike the roughest and toughest race you guys talk about, these people don't talk about it. They don't even have where to talk about it, believe it or not. And I'm talking here in UAE. I'm not talking about internationally at all. So who is in this race? Okay. These are the parents. And I'm just going to, so I I really want to kind of tell you, these are the kids in schools. Okay dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, apraxia dysgraphia, dysphasia, ADD, ADHD auditory processing disorder, sensory processing disorder uh, autism spectrum, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy these children are in s- mainstream schools they belong there but somehow they just don't fit in Dubai and UAE okay? let me just tell you something why this race is so hard There is no preparation. Nobody prepares you for this journey. There are no distances to cross. There are no rest days. There is no map. There is no road. Guess what? There is no finish line. And depending what you get out of these names, your starting point can be very, very different also. There are shortcuts for the lucky ones. The ones that can afford the shortcuts. Mind you, you pay regardless a lot where you start. So let me tell you how seven, how much seven years looking after my child cost us, over half a million there. OK? Now that's injustice, because these names don't apply, these all learning disorders don't apply to rich people. Everybody is affected, and it's an unbelievable injustice. To let these kids fail because you as a parent cannot afford paying 400 dirhams per hour for intervention. Depending what your child has, you will end up four times a week in a therapy plus the school plus the shadow teacher. If my school costs 47,000, your child will pay 47,000 for the shadow teacher and for each therapy 400 dirhams. Do the math. Clearly, this changed my life. Um, Apart from free spirit and all the spending on the sport was a long time a dream. Um, We had to go back to frugal life. Let me say that was not hard for me. I'm used to it. So I don't think I suffered much there. But at the moment, I believe I run this race pretty good. And I reached hope. I think I set up a damn good system for my child. In the meantime, I learned hips and I wanted to do something about it. I promised myself that I will not allow other people who enter this race do what, experience what I did. So the first plan was, and I made a five years plan. Guess what? That's a long term planning. So I first thought, you know what? Working from outside the system didn't pay off at all. I approached individual parents. I approached individual teachers. I spent with principals. And I bought books for the school and videos and I educated as hard as I could, but I realized you have to get into the system to change the system truly. So I decided to do a masters, change my qualification. So I did two years masters. I did severe sitting, which I hate. But I did it. So I just finished my masters. It's in applied psychology. It was locally done. So I had to go back and sit in lectures and do all like, all the little kiddos. Uh, and then I decided to, uh, do a step two, which was relieve some of the parents of frustration, not knowing where are the centers in Dubai, where are the events, workshops, experts, where do you do assessments amazingly, that is not centralized information at all. So you end up not only worrying about your kid, but where to go. And even if you have the money, you don't know where to spend it, which is quite frustrating. So I decided to create a platform where I'm going to literally get all this information that I buy now you and share with others. And as wondrous life can be, and I'm going to call someone's name right now, I came to the first inner talk, I heard Tom, he talked about the importance of social media, and I approached him. And life is wondrous, as I said. Tom said, talk about what you want. I was a bit confused. I needed guidance. And he offered not only guidance, he offered to uh, create a web website designed with his team uh, and for free. And that's going to happen in the next few months. So thank you, Tom, from a uh, bottom of my heart. I don't think you know what you started. You are part of way bigger dream that I actually scared you with when I said. Because I have much more confidence now. Um, In the meantime, I didn't want to wait. I set up a Facebook page. Include me, but it's UAE. I set up a a parent support group in the school where my child goes. I'm meeting a principal today uh, to discuss legacy in the following years. How to proceed with this. But the Facebook, I am relentless in posting. I checked every possible group in UAE and activity, and I realized they're very poorly active, so I, managed, I decided to post three to five relevant posts every day. Now, let me tell you, for a parent of a child that requires attention, that's uh, minus three hours of sleep for me, which means I sleep around when Cinderella leaves the party. Which is after midnight, I guess that's okay because for right things it's worth a little dying a little bit every day, okay so we are super active, and I have to say response is phenomenal in very with very little marketing, if that's called little marketing, I bother everybody. Uh, we managed to um, get 700 really good audience on already members, and we're literally getting people on board all the time. Um, I don't think you can avoid this discussion with me anyway. Um, In the meantime, I have that's going while we're waiting for the web page to come, and I'm collecting resources as much as possible, so it's going to be transferred straight away. There's a much, much bigger dream, way bigger, and it scares the hell out of me. But then again, if the dream is not scaring you a little bit, it's too small, right? Inclusion is or integration of children with special needs is terrible in UAE. Considering how much funding we get, that the law is in place, nothing is really being done. Let me tell you, none of the schools are accountable to what they do with these kids. Nobody is checking. Outstanding marking has nothing to do with them, but more with Arabic. Your school will get outstanding marking if for mainstream curriculum. These children are outskirts, the periphery of anything, Okay. And out of 280 schools in Dubai, 52 accepts, at least saying it, children with special needs. And even if they accept them, they have no idea what to do with them. The the teachers are simply not trained. As simple as that. Okay, so my dream, and I'm going to kind of shorten it. I'm taking too long, sorry. Oh, wow, Marcus, I'm sorry. All right, skip, quick. Fifth lane, a fifth spin. Sorry, fast lane. All right, cool. Um, sorry, it was important. I really had to say it. All right, where was I? Right. So inclusion. Uh, I want to change the policies. I'm writing a proposal for Princess Haya. Uh, we are reaching out to government. Uh, we are organizing training for teachers from September. So, wish me luck. All right. Fast forward a few advices to leave you with (laughs) no you have to you owe me these five minutes (laughs) Uh, if you want to make a difference and I hope most of you want to leave some legacy and kind of move away from self and look unto others um, find a cause that really deeply and profoundly touches you if you can't find a cause kind of seek out silence those without voice need you the most take care of them. Voice is power. You have them both. Use them judiciously, responsibly. Okay? Don't shout and don't condemn. Unnecessary. Okay? The next point is, understand why there is a problem. Really understand why there is a problem there. Why it's chronically something around you. Why it doesn't change. And the one of the biggest reasons I find is that nobody defines problem properly. If your problem is not clear enough, solution will be short-sighted. Be prepared to meet people who will not understand what you are talking about, and they will be in conflict with your deeply held principles. Even when I say in front of people, human, every human has equal rights. That these children deserve equal educational benefits. You will, say, you will see barely a goodwill coming with it. Okay? And I think there was the last one. <laughs> if you hope, you can hope, Marcus. Okay? Be a dreamer. What I try to accomplish, it's not accomplished anywhere in the world. Okay? So watch this space. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Whatever they said about women and timekeeping, it's not true. The next speaker, I do actually know, and this guy came to me one day and said, give me a chance. He was working in the marketing department at Adidas. He wanted to get passionate about shoes with me, and I gave him a chance. About eight months later, he came to me and said, this isn't for me. And I was like, awesome. I've given you a chance, I sort of put it out there. Everyone told me not to take him, and he said he didn't want to stay. And I looked at him, and I said, what do you want to go and do? And I can see this look in his eye, About, and he started to explain it. And I didn't challenge him, I didn't say anything. I said, mate, whatever you want to go and do, go and do it. I'll make your exit from here as easy as possible. Two weeks later, he left Adidas, and has gone on to do some absolutely incredible things, which hopefully he's going to share with us in the next eight minutes. (laughs)
4: Hello, hello.
5: Tom, are you going to design a free website for me? (laughs) No? So, uh, just over three weeks ago, I was in my space doing my own thing and then an email pops up uh, from Marcus and it had three lines in it. It's like, Enter Talks, 28th of May, you are talking. This is not a negotiation. Sorry. Clearly, this guy has a lot of skills, but probably negotiation is not one of them. So I was like, whoa, you know, I, I'm very busy in my space. I have so many things going on, and just that thing popped up, and I need to think of what really I want to talk about. So I was like, market is unread. Attend to it later, and I continued to do my own thing, but somehow it just kept popping up and what 's interesting about it is it 's an open mic, and in our environments, like in, I work in communication, so i 'm very use, used to speaking in front of people, but usually, I know what i 'm going to talk about, so like if i 'm talking about marketing strategy, etc, and I know my audience, but this time. Is like, I can potentially talk about anything. So, my creativity was like skyrocketing. And, uh, so, I was in this space and, uh, fuck, which is, <laughs> I'm actually now, it's, it's making me nervous. Uh, because when it's personal, you can potentially look back into your life. So, I was like, what, what am I going to talk about? Like where I was born, the, the traumas, the tragedies, the ups and the downs. Uh, I was born in Lebanon in 1980, and you don't want to be there in 1980. Uh, however, uh, I had such an eventful life. Uh, lots of friends I made, lots of you know things that I've been through. Also, I moved to to Dubai in 2003. Uh, 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 and then I worked with Adidas, with Adidas, and like Marcus said, he gave me the chance. And then I moved out. Uh, in 2010, uh, I joined InnerFight, and InnerFight was really a springboard uh, for me. So I'm forever, you know, a disciple of InnerFight, and it gave me so much. And I explained to you why. Uh, in 2010, I was not in a really uh, good space in my head. Uh, and I asked Marcus for the chance to be a part of Inner Fight. Uh, I went, it was crazy. Uh, you know, I've, I've never been exposed to such amount of fitness and whatever. It, it was like really mental. So I didn't know what happened, but I know that the next day I couldn't really walk. I, <laughs> I was completely, you know, screwed up. So I missed the following day. And, uh, so Marcus sends me a text at six. like the workouts are at six, so like seven zero five sends me, "Where are you?" like why did you not show up?" and I was like, i can't feel my legs." It was like <laughs> it was like last warning this spot I can give to so many other people and remember in two thousand like ten it was a very, very small circle. Uh, I actually had to you know asked multiple times to be given that spot. And that spot was actually given free of charge at that time. Uh, So it's like, you know, I'm not taking bullshit from you. If you want to commit to the program, you're going to listen and do as I say. And probably that was the first time I get into commitment and discipline in that manner. And uh, that was a journey that it was from 2010 to 2013, so we're talking about three years of waking up at 5 a.m. every morning, day in and day out. This is something that I had not had in the previous 30 years of my life, and obviously that has started to have positive impact and change on my life. I was waking early, I was fixing, I was sleeping early, I was fixing my food, I was feeling energized, you know. Uh, so in my workspace, I, I became a team player, uh, much more focused, much more committed, etc. So, uh, I gained enough confidence in those three years to get to a point whereby, you know what? I figured everything I need to figure out in my industry. And uh, I want to just, you know, jump ship and do my own thing. This is how confident I became in my skills and, you know, in my, like, if you like, my sharp vision. So I went to Marcus and I was like, I'm thinking of leaving. And he was like, do it. I I did not really have a plan. Uh, he was like, you're going to figure it out. Of course, Marcus, among other things, but uh, or among other influences and important people in my life. Um, so I did it. Uh, and now my business venture is two years old and we're doing great. Uh, so anyway, long story short, from the... The moment I received that email, I was like, right, what am I really going to talk about? Am I going to talk about the previous 30 years that I had in my life and all the ups and downs that I've had in my life? Or am I going to talk about, you know, my business venture and how well I'm going to... Like, how am I really going to inspire you by telling you we're doing awesome, we have so many projects, we're this, we're that. Or, you know, poor me, I had so many adversities in life. What is it that I really want to talk about? So I was like, from the moment I received that email till the, you know, this moment that I stand in front of you, it was 21 days. So I was like, what can I possibly achieve in 21 days? So I want to live in the now. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk the inner talk. I want to walk the inner walk. Nice one. <laughs> what can I possibly achieve in three weeks? That I can actually stand and, you know, share with you. So I came back to the whiteboard and I said, what are things that I've been meaning to do that I haven't, like, somehow been procrastinating or busy, like, because of life, uh, you know, requirements. So I was like, one of the things that I've had in mind for many years is running a marathon. Uh, only recently, I joined uh, flanners i don 't think he 's with us today, uh, you know and I told him that I have a plan to run a marathon. He was like, yeah of course, mate you know he 's always like cool and chills out So I created an account on training peaks and I attended a few of the sessions. I did a couple of runs, but then you know i 'm flying with business, and soon our relationship just became WhatsApp buddies <laughs> moving my trainings. You know, from like the sessions that I missed. So, so obviously we fell apart and it wasn't like the energy was not there, so it didn't happen. So I was like, interesting. I have three weeks to actually run a marathon. And if I succeed in doing that, then that's something to talk about. So I didn't really have a plan or a program. I said, let's keep it simple. I walk out of my home and I run as far as I can. And, uh, Whatever I like, my you know, can't go on any further. I just take a taxi and come back home. It, it, like I don't need a program. I don't need to overcomplicate things. I, I found that I was overthinking things. So it was like I, I was actually smoking earlier that day. I have a bad habit. So like completely unfit, completely not prepared for anything. Um, but now I accepted the 21-day challenge. So it was, it was Wednesday evening. I finished a very long day at work. So I said, right, I went back. I had a banana, and I was like, I'll just walk out of home and start running. So I live across, like uh, next to one of the Emirates. I crossed the, the metro to the other side of Safu Road and started running towards Beach Road. And I was like, the first 500 meters that I started running, I was like, okay. So, I promised myself that I'm going to run as far as possible and then I'm going to grab a taxi. So, what, what did I really mean by running as far as possible? Because as long as I'm conscious, if I don't faint, and as long as I can keep on, you know... Putting one foot in front of the other, and as long as there are grocery stores to serve as water stations down the, you know, beach road, I should be fine. Um, so, in the first 500 meters that I started running, I thought, is it possible that I can actually run a full marathon just like that? Just walk out of my door and run a full marathon. I was like, it, it felt overwhelming, but I was like, let me not overthink it and let me just run, you know. And then another idea came to my mind. It's like no matter how unfit I am, surely I'm probably fitter than Marcus and Tom on their last day of the run of MDS. So in my mind and in, in my legs, in my condition, if I show up on the tent on the last day, I'd be like I'd smoke them. Even though they're they're fitter, but definitely they would be like completely screwed up by, by that time. So I was like my two imaginary friends are with me, and I'm running the last marathon with them. And somehow these like positive thoughts started to come, and I don't want to overthink it. So just running down Beach Road, I started my run at 8:30 p.m. Uh, and just running down the like probably at two hours later, one and a half hours later, I was in front of these coffee shops on Beach Road, and you have all like the guys smoking shisha, and the, and I was like really tired, so I was stopping and vomiting in front of them. Uh, I'm so unf- you know? <laughs> uh, but I kept on going, using grocery stores for my water stations, and going and going and going. And as I was going further and further, it started to feel that I can actually finish the marathon now. Like, why would I not? But I was still, like, hesitant until I got, like, to the dry docks, which was 22 kilometers down the road, and there I stopped running for a moment. Uh, it was a bad time; like it was already three hours down. So, like I wasn't running for time; I was running for distance. I, I was just running for, for the hell of it. So, uh, so I said I have two options: either I keep on going towards Sharjah because that's why I promised myself, or if I turn around and come back. Then I can get back home and it'll be like a full marathon. And then I would have achieved what I had said to achieve. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn around and come back. And I did. And seven hours later, I was back home. <laughs> having <laughs> Thank you. Having run 44 kilometers. So I came back a marathoner. I like... I literally left my doorstep, ran my first... I've never, ever ran such a distance. I've done only one half marathon in 2013. So that was great. I felt like... I was like, First, I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> On the first day of the challenge, I finished a marathon. So what can I possibly achieve more in 21 days? I was like, wow. <laughs> Faster. <laughs> okay. So... Okay, so I can wrap up. Uh, so it, the, the idea of mental strength really evolves into uh, wanting to understand something about mental weakness. Uh, in the house of no weakness and in your presence, the last speaker, I can see you. I need to choose my more, uh, my words more carefully. I was like, I want to go to a place where to see people with special needs because I was never... You know, I don't know what it feels like. So I called my friend Lola and uh, she told me if you can come on Sunday, you can volunteer. We're going to be in Vox Cinema or something. So I went there and I went to the cinema and I was sat there, you know, volunteering, helping. And there was a guy next to me that was with a Down syndrome, an autistic guy behind me, like a schizo here. So I was like, wow, It, it was just like i just ran a marathon i can think in a critical way i can analyze i can memorize i can do so many things and these guys are most of them are abandoned like they're like families no one asks about them so it's like you said it's also very difficult for them so i felt humbled i felt thankful i felt grateful i felt more determined that i want to achieve even more stuff so i was like what can i possibly achieve more uh, you know I had a very big project for for May 15 which kept me like really really busy uh, so I was like I'm confined in my home like home office I can't really move a lot so I can't really go to the gym every day or whatever so what can I possibly do inside this space uh, and I chose basic moves like push-ups sit-ups uh, burpees uh you know double unders whatever i chose eight moves and i said i'm gonna do a thousand of each it's something that we've done once before or a few times before uh and here i was actually continuing to do my own thing but now i can take breaks and just do 50 push-ups here 20 push-ups there whatever and all of a sudden i became a very physically active uh, person without changing a lot in my lifestyle uh Two weeks have passed. On Sunday, I did a count to see what, what I have actually achieved from the 1,000. I did actually 400 of each in two weeks. So I was like, shit, I need to finish another 600 in only four days, which means I have to do 150 burpees every day, 150 push-ups every day for the coming four days. Otherwise, I'm not going to have anything to talk about on, on Thursday. <laughs> um, so anyway, okay. So I actually achieved that as well. And I overcome a fear, and that's going to be my last one. Uh, you know, I, for some reason, I developed uh, fear. Not fear, but, you know, I prefer to, like, uh, shower in hot water. And uh, over time, I was like I, would, like, I would like not to shower in cold water. And uh, I kind of avoided it, and it became like some kind of mental lock. So I was like, I want to do an ice bath. And uh, last night, I bought like 15 bags of ice. My parents are in town. Uh, They saw me putting ice in the bathtub. So my my mother was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm preparing for tomorrow's talk. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad was like, your son is weird. (laughs) So... I put my feet there and it was freezing cold. I was like petrified in my head. It was like, I can't do it, I can't do it. I take a deep breath and I just dive in. And actually, it's not really cold because you feel like somehow numb, electric feeling. But I felt that something really changed in my mind and, you know, I somehow overcame it. So in only in 21 days, you can see how much I was actually, could have actually achieved. And maybe it's not a lot for many people, but for me, it's something. Uh, And it really put me out of the comfort zone. I felt more balanced, more inspired. You were the inspiration for me without you knowing. So thank you for that. And I hope I gave something back today.
0: Thank you, Hani. I apologize what I said about ladies not being able to keep time. Our final speaker for this morning is another person who came through a good friend of ours who's actually also stood up here and spoke, Manar.
4: Good morning. I want to start off by thanking Marcus for inviting me to speak here today, and I want to thank Hanan for nominating me. It's really a privilege to be surrounded by such inspirational people and people who are always willing to learn and grow from others. So, my name is Manar, and I created a social media brand called Notes to Self. It's a brand that provides daily notes, information, and advice on how to live your best life. And later on in the talk, you'll see how I came about with that idea. So, when Marcus asked me to speak here, the first thing that I thought was, how can I give the most value to these people in such a short time? So, the second question was, Well, what was the thing that gave me most value in my life? So today, I'm going to share with you the two most important lessons that I've learned. And those lessons ultimately changed my perspective in life. When my perspective changed, my thoughts changed, everything about me changed. The way I talked, the way I acted, the way I reacted, the way I loved, the way I lived, and the way I showed up in the world, everything changed And those two lessons were, number one, that I am here to live as the best version of myself and live my best life. And number two, that this journey is not my journey alone, that it is our journey. And you're going to see how important you are in this journey. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. I've always been into personal development and personal growth. I've actually been studying it for a decade now. And I was trying to think, when was the first time I ever got hold of a personal development book? And I remember, it was straight out of university. I got my first job, and my dad was super excited because it was at a bank. So he went out and he got me all these books on banking. And he also got me one of those how-to books. And he gave me the book, and I looked at the book, and I read the title, and it was like, How to Make Anyone Like You. And I looked at my dad, I was like, how to make anyone like you? Do you really think that I need this? And my dad looked at me and he was like, I think you need this. And I was like, dad, you're my dad. If you think of this about me, what do other people think about me? And he was like, ya baba, ya manar, do not get offended all the time and be so upset. I understand you. You are a shy and quiet person, but people... They mistake you for being a snob and someone who's unrelatable and not kind. And I was like, okay, please go on. And then he was like, I want you to read the book with an open mind. Because in work, you have to be relatable and you have to be social for things to to run smoothly. So after getting over my initial drama, I actually read the book. And I really enjoyed it. And that was the first time in my life where I looked inside me in order to learn something, as opposed to look outside. And I took a lot of the stuff that I learned from the book during my time at the bank and in life. And I was at the bank for about seven years. And after seven years, I had to leave because I got married and I moved to Dubai. My husband and I, we had our kids right away. So I never really had a chance to get back to work and study further education, which was what I was planning to do. So I found myself at a different point in my life. I was no longer this career-focused lady who was planning to take over a bank. I was now a wife, a mom, and oh my God, a stay-at-home mom. I never thought I would be that person. And I really was at a low point in my life. My fears and my insecurities started taking over me. Because you see, my value system back in the day was Manar equals her job title plus her salary. And that was what my self-worth was to me. So you could imagine how I felt about myself, what my self-worth was at that time. It was zero. So like I said, my fear started taking the best of me and they took over my mind and they were driving me crazy. They took control of my life. And the worst part is, And if you're a parent, you understand this. When your fears take control of you, they don't just control you, they control your children's lives as well. And I looked at my kids and I was like, look at these kids, they're so amazing. They deserve to live in a world of opportunity and hope. And I can't give that to them if I raise them from a place of fear and disappointment and shame. So what can I do to change this? Well, I can't change the world. I can't change politics. I can't change people. I can't even change my kids, for God's sake. I can't even control them. Who's a parent here? When you tell your kids what to do, they either don't do it or they do the opposite. But they never learn from what you tell them. However, your kids do learn from your example. They mirror everything that you do. And then when I got to that revelation, I thought... Well, if I want my kids to live as the best version of themselves and live their best life, then I must do that first. So I started working on myself immediately, and I started working on the most important part of me, and that was my mind, my belief system. I started writing notes to myself, and I wrote notes that aligned me with the kind of life that I want for my family and for myself. And one page turned into one notebook. One notebook turned into hundreds of notebooks and files on my computer and files on my iPhone. And slowly but surely, when things started changing in here, everything out here started changing too. My circumstances, the people, my relationships, everything changed. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I was in a good place and I felt good about myself. And I came from a place of power as opposed to being in a place of being a victim like I was before. And the even better part about this is that I raised myself from the most positive place. And I raised my family as well. I didn't have to put anyone down. I didn't have to backstab anyone. I didn't need to talk badly about anyone to feel feel good about myself. I just raised myself from the best place I knew in myself. So I thought, if these notes could help me, they could help other people. So I started an Instagram account, and I started sharing my notes on a daily basis in hopes that people can take them and reprogram and change their mindsets as well. So you see, it was my kids who inspired me to live my best life. They gave me my first big lesson in life. But the second biggest lesson I learned was that this is not my journey alone. This is our journey. Because you see, when everybody is functioning from their highest, truest, and purest self, what do you think the kind of world we would live in would look like? Think of all the wars and the hate and the greed and the famine. I really think we'd get rid of a lot of that. Because ultimately what you're doing is, you're creating a ripple effect. Once you raise yourself, you raise everyone around you. And in turn, they raise everyone around them. And instead, we'd be living in a world that functions from a place of love and compassion and gratitude and non-judgment and abundance. And I don't know about you, but this is the kind of world I want to live in. It's the kind of world that I want to create for my children and my children's children. And I want that for your children as well. So you see, this journey wasn't about me after all. This journey isn't about you either. It's really about all of us, and we're all in it together. So thank you very much. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) On Instagram, you can follow me on at notes to self insta. I'm also on Twitter, notes to self tweet, and I'm starting a Facebook page too. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, I won't take any more of your time. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you taking the time out. I appreciate all of the speakers. And I also, I'm going to use appreciate again, would appreciate anyone else who wants to come up here and talk. The next Inner Talks, number six, will be on the 27th of August. It's too hot to do it in summer, everyone tells me. It's air conditioning here. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great day thanks a lot for tuning into this episode of the podcast folks and i do hope you've enjoyed it thanks also to our five great speakers from inner talks for sharing their story of course if you have any questions or comments hop over to the site innerfight.com slash podcast 177 where you'll also find a link to the video versions of those talks if you want to hear them or see them Please take a moment to hop over to iTunes, as always, and rate the podcast. Leave a comment or just do what you need to do over there. Until next time, folks, take care.